Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, and we have a couple of special guests with us today. Uh, my co-host today is Kale Dowell, one of my colleagues, the COO of Arcos. Say hello to the people, Kale. Howdy, everyone from Texas. <laughs> and uh, uh, so, yes, Kale and I are coming to you from Houston, Texas, and from Atlanta, Georgia. Chris Cornell is with us. He is the founder and CEO of Booster. Uh, you'll, if you don't already know, you'll know by the end of this podcast what that company does. But Chris, welcome to the program. Get fired up and thank you. <laughs> yeah, you're in for a great ride uh, with Chris. He's got an amazing story. He and uh, Kale have known each other for a long time. I am a fan of, of the company. Uh, they have an amazing story. And uh, let's just start, Chris, where we always do with, tell us about your family growing up, where you grew up, all that kind of thing. Jeff, I love that you're doing this. Listen to your podcast. I'm a consumer of it and a fan of it and really honored to be on it. Uh, you got a great tribe. I feel like I'm part of it. So thanks for your generous work to spread awesome stories and ideas that inspire all. Uh, I'm originally from Fort Lauderdale, Florida, sunny South Florida, where it's cold about three days a year. I was an only child. My parents were divorced, but uh, both extremely actively involved in my life growing up. Uh, my mom was a college professor. My dad was an attorney. Um, I uh, have been a person of faith as long as I can remember. Obviously, a, a divorced home, but also in many ways, very healthy community around me. Very positive, optimistic, encouraging mom and, and parents and a very involved dad. And I uh, love playing baseball. So I got the only child, uh, two parents with a focus on one. I uh, got to play a lot of baseball, a lot of good friends and still lots of family community down there. And uh, super involved in my church and youth group and uh, loved all kinds of activities, sporting events and um, doing all that. Went to college in Birmingham, Alabama at Sanford University. I was a religion major, never had a business class, though I'm a, a founder and CEO of a, of a company. I don't want to jinx it, so, um, but I have my master's uh, degree in theology, went on to seminary actually after college. Met my wife in eighth grade. Her locker was next to mine. No, we're not childhood sweethearts. I wish we were. I had to chase her for about five or six years till she, she gave me the time of day. But here we are now. We've been married for 22 years. I'm a father of four, uh, two girls and two boys. My oldest daughter goes to college at Liberty University in six months. So I got 194 days with her still in my roof with the, uh, the whole family there in the wonder years, as we call it. Not that I'm counting the days. Uh, Coach my boys at baseball, and uh, and life is good. I'm extremely blessed. Run a company in Atlanta. If anybody's into personality tests, I'm a ENFP Myers Briggs. I'm a seven with an eight wing on the Enneagram. And that might not mean anything, or it could be super helpful. Either way, it, all, it definitely means I'm probably going to be distracted a few times during this <laughs> podcast. So so keep me on track. Exactly. Well, that's fantastic. Do you, do you have any siblings? Just out of curiosity. Only child, but. Uh, Parents got remarried, so uh, some step-siblings that I'm pretty close with. Gotcha. Very good. And then did you have some uh, kind of entrepreneurial bent growing up? I mean, it's so interesting that you studied kind of religion and theology uh, because I sort of just think of you as such a pure entrepreneur, but maybe that's off base. Did you have no, your meanings as a kid? No, you're jumping right to my heart and soul. I, ha Looking back now as a 
three-year-old, I have always had an entrepreneurial bent. That didn't necessarily call it that at the time. Loved yeah. out-of-the-box ideas, loved selling things. I would go to the grocery store after Christmas and buy candy canes at 90% off and then sell them at price, get in trouble at school, buy fireworks, driving through Tennessee and sell it to friends. I was always looking for opportunities uh, to do things. Like I love sales. I love new big ideas. I'll tell you what though, I don't know if any of your listeners resonate with this. I'm sure a lot will. I thought, again, I'm 43. So growing up in the 80s and 90s and going to church most Sundays and being around a really faith-driven religious community, I never heard a sermon that explicitly said this, but here's the grand narrative I heard growing up in my head that took me probably 20 years to deprogram. Hey, you want to change the world? Work for a nonprofit. Yep. You want to make money? Go work for a for-profit. And if you want to change the world, you're in the for-profit business, well, make some and give some, and that's about it. And of course, we're on the Generous Business Owner Podcast. So yes to generosity. However, making and giving is not the only thing you can do in your 100,000 hours of vocational work in your life. So I'm extremely passionate about using your Tuesday meeting for kingdom purposes, the good of others, for human flourishing, just as much as maybe your Sunday or your service hours as well. So it took a long time for those things to come together. The reason I was a religion major and went to seminary for three years is I thought I needed to work at a church or even my solution to the entrepreneurial world-changing tension was I'll start a church so I can create something, but it'll still be in the nonprofit world. And that's the biggest way I can change the world, which is wonderful to everyone that does that, but it neglects about 95% of the for-profit commerce leaders and it really degrades their thinking in the sacred versus secular, which of course uh, doesn't exist. All things, in my opinion, are, are sacred if we're doing it with the right reason, on purpose for a purpose. Well, I think I think you're right on the money. I, I definitely talked about that in my book. I had that what I call stinking thinking as well, and I think some of it for me was about I had a I had a guy. My dad was a business guy who became a pastor. So I was like, well, I guess if you're all in for God, you got to make they, the joke. Talk about being called to ministry right. as as a term to go to the church or you know be a missionary or something and so and I, I, heard, I hear that term used still every week still yes. not as often thank goodness i hope yeah. our kids never use it no exactly and so we're all called to ministry yes. is the point yep and, uh, and then i always think about billy graham right you know the be next big move of god he said he thought would be in the workplace and i think uh, i think that was prophetic so yeah. And by the way, it was never not, supposed to not be in the workplace, right? The not, if you study world history, the idea of a nonprofit is a very Western, very modern concept. And it's wonderful. And I'm, we're so blessed by so many. I'm not knocking it at all. Uh, but for the majority of the world, if you were a Christ follower uh, or a do-gooder in whatever form, uh, you just had to do that in your daily life. Mm -hmm. Well, okay. Now, now let's let now let's get into this thing. You, you, I don't think you've been a big uh, job hopper, and so I'm going to ask you to kind of start the booster story or how you got into that, and then I'm going to let Kale kind of uh, take take us through all these different components and the journey of uh, of booster over the years. And uh, because full disclosure, Kale's wife works for booster, uh, so we were joking. He's one of our best, for the record, one <laughs> of our best. There you go. Uh, shout out uh, to her, and yep. so, uh, so maybe talk, talk. How did you get into this business to begin with? I hear about a famous story in the back of a truck with a <laughs> megaphone. Is is that? <laughs> yeah, 
Uh, well, getting into business is a, a great reverse engineering of the story. You know, everyone, as you get older, you tell stories and I hear entrepreneurs, I'm like, that's not how it happened. You didn't have a clue. You tried an idea. There was no product market fit. I didn't know what any of these <laughs> meant. I had no idea. So take your preconceived notion of, uh, of what Chris, the CEO is now or should have been then. And it's, it's, uh, I was a religion major. I was 21 years old. I was doing, I played college baseball. And then when my baseball career was over, my last few years of college, I did baseball lessons for kids, one-on-one lessons. Meet you at the park, pay me 30 bucks, and I'll teach you how to throw. And then I realized I had a platform to these students. I was 20. They were nine. So, uh, hey, let's talk about attitude and hard work and character. And I realized very quickly the parents loved it. They told everyone they knew, hey, my kid is hitting and he used to not hit, but he's also a better teammate. You got to talk to this guy, Chris. So it started to grow. I loved growth of, we'll call it a business, all sports tutoring, my college gig. I loved it. I had so many students, I couldn't tutor them all. So I started hiring team members. And then that branched into other sports, track and softball and other friends of mine from college in the afternoon after class. I had about 300 students and about 10 employees as a 21-year-old. And uh, I loved it. And I thought, wait a minute, I'm making money. I'm growing. This is a challenge. It's fun. It's scratching all the entrepreneurial itches. And I'm making a difference. I'm encouraging these kids. I'm helping at the soft skills and the hard skills of what they're doing. The community, in some ways, is better because of what we do. So that was the first insight into the idea of a missional business, though it's, I did not use those terms and we certainly weren't quite a business. But along the way, one of those students, Carter Gannon, fifth grader, before a baseball lesson said, before we start, coach, would you like to buy some magazines for my school fundraiser? And I thought, at least in business terms today, there's been no uh, product evolution uh, and innovation in the past 15 years since I was in your shoes. I don't have, I don't want to buy a product. Who does? So when I was in elementary school, I had the opportunity through our PE coach and my dad who helped organize uh, with our school's booster club, uh, a fitness fun run. So I ran in a really fun event that also morphed into a fundraiser, uh, called my dad after the baseball lesson, called my mom, the college educator, tell me what teachers do, what do schools do, and found out that the majority of school fundraising was magazine sales or some sort of kind of junky product. And the concept was, well, running's not original and fun's not original. But if I combine those two with kind of a heart for service, a I'll do it for you, I'll organize, promote, encourage, and communicate on your behalf so that educators could educate and not be uh, campaign promoters of a program. And I'd worked with students and youth and children and events and summer camps. And so that was pretty easy for me. It's not easy necessarily for, for those that don't do it. So the idea was born. Uh, that let's take this concept of donation-based pledges for the number of laps run. Uh, that that was the initial light bulb moment. Man, I, I love that story, Chris. Thanks for sharing that. And you got to tell, I mean, one of my favorites, and I don't want to spoil it, but talk about how hard it was getting that off the ground, like how many principals you had to go see. And then one of the things I love is the guy that said, yes, there's something y'all do like on a consistent oh, yeah. every year. So maybe share a little bit about that. Yeah, absolutely. I'll probably forward this podcast to him and say thank you again. So, you know, it wasn't hard in the sense of like, and my family's got to eat. That was a few years later. Or I have employees and payroll to make. That was a few years later. Uh, It was like, I'm in college. This is a fun challenge. 
can I, and I just, I knew that it would work. I knew it. So I went around literally to 50 schools and went around was, hey, I'm in college. I've never done this before. I got a concept that you adults should trust me with. And it involves your money and your kids. <laughs> and did I tell you I've never done it before? But I, as a kid, I kind of did a fun run and I've seen it done and some schools do it, but I can do it better. Everyone was so gracious. Man, love your enthusiasm. Got a lot of energy. Sounds like you got a good work ethic. Once you've done this a few times, let me know. I'd be happy to try it. So if any entrepreneurs are out there, listen, all you need is one client. All you need is one. And you might have to go through 50 or 500, but you only need one. And then once you get the one, there's no longer the first and that emotional hurdle. Like, how do I get... So I learned so much. I finally got one school. I'd gone back to them three times. I bumped into their athletic director at a baseball game. I'd helped coach uh, part of their basketball team. Just kept bumping into them. Bill Wilder is his name, and I know it very well. I see him every few years. I invited him to our Booster 20th celebration and honored him a couple years ago. But I call him every August 15th at the start of the fall semester and every April 15th at the start or in the middle of the spring semester when our program, our very first program kicked off in 2002. Uh, So twice a year. Called him 43 times now. And I say, Coach, I just want to thank you. We currently have 900 employees. This year we'll do 100 million in revenue. And uh, we've raised school $750 million in school profit. And if you did not say yes and give me the chance and take a risk and be generous with the opportunity, none of that would have existed. So I'm loyal, grateful to my first ever client. And any entrepreneur listening gets that emotional connection. I love that. I mean, that's like, you know, kind of the proverbial, like, that's my first dollar, right? Oh, like, yeah. Yeah. And it, it, I think the way that you celebrate that, Chris, just is, is such a test. It's one of the things I see through my wife that Booster does so well is celebration. And to me, that's a component generosity, right? Like nurturing yes. and celebrating a culture costs money, right? Yep. I mean, that, that's, that's part of your, your P&L. So, I mean, how did that start, right? Like Booster early days, what did that look like, you know, for the, for the aspiring new entrepreneur there? And then like, what does that mature component look like? Maybe share a little bit about that because you've gone from you know zero dollars to a hundred million in revenue, you know one employee to nine hundred employees. It's a big gap, you know, in twenty years. Yeah, as an Enneagram Seven and a Myers Briggs ENFP, the idea of celebration comes very naturally. So some are hearing this and like, I love to celebrate. Permission to do it at work? Yes. And some <laughs> of you are like, what is celebration? I, I just got to get some work done. That's okay. I do think that. If we're talking to a, a faith audience, uh, Luke 15, uh, the word celebrate, at least the English translation is used three times to, do, to describe the father, who is the hero of the prodigal son's story. Called the prodigal son, it's not about him, it's really about the father, uh, his love, his grace, his mercy, his open arms, his welcoming home. And three times it says the father celebrated. Mm. And uh, so I want to be like my heavenly father. I'm an earthly father. And uh, there's few reactions that are more emotionally connecting, that are more memorable, uh, that uh, evoke the best in us and others than, uh, than a well-done, others-centered celebration. And this world hears celebration, and often we think it's uh, celebrate myself or, you know, it's all about me. No, 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 no. We're talking about true others-centered celebration, where someone else is the center of the story and the center of the map, and, and it's about them. And let's go a little above and beyond. If you ever come to our office in Atlanta, I'd love to welcome you literally with uh, confetti cannons and smoke machines uh, and a tunnel where you'll run through and give high fives. And at least in 30 seconds on your first day of work or first visit, you will feel celebrated. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing now how I bumped into someone this morning 
you got to go by his office. Like, when were you there? I was there eight years ago. Like, we've been friends for eight years. The only thing you remember is uh, the 30-second celebrations. So celebrations are, I think, a, a great component to life. They're one of the, when you look back at your year, like, we just started 2024, but look back at 2023. You know, what'd you do October 3rd? You don't know. What, what'd you do on a Saturday in June? You don't know. You probably remember like five events, and I'll bet there's some celebratory moment that connects those to your mind and your heart and your soul. So celebration is one of our six virtues. It's also what we have the opportunity to do on school campuses and uh, to celebrate students and to celebrate teachers. And so never miss a moment to celebrate. It's part of affirmation. It's part of encouragement, part of acknowledgement. People want to be seen. They want to feel a sense of belonging. They want to be heard. And uh, celebration is kind of the icing on the cake of all of those basic of human interactions. And I, I love that. And celebration is so huge. And uh, man, Chris, you're probably one of the best at it, I think, that I've ever met. Uh, and we get to learn from, you know, amazing people out there that are that are also doing it well. Um, so thanks for your you know commitment to that. And I love how you've connected that to your virtues. My guess is day one, while the, while the spirit was there, you maybe didn't have it all defined with your six virtues, you know, talk about maybe that journey of like getting, you know, kind of the impetus of Booster to where you are now. Well, yeah, I'll connect that to your earlier question that I forgot to answer and just remember how you how I got started and I forgot where you were going. Uh, I'll forgive you. I think we were a year and a half in. I had like six employees. They were all guys. I think I might have been the only married one. I hired a couple like, you know, college friends and teammates and, uh, hey, the semester's over. Wow. That was amazing. A lot of hard work. It's June. Let's go play. I remember driving to South Carolina, uh, having two days to just goof around and play. And we, the last day was kind of cast vision for the future. I remember we played paintball all day. And I'm like, I'm, I got to give everybody a gift. I don't want to rent paintball guns. Everybody gets their own paintball gun. Yeah. Like 23 year old, 25 year old guys doing it. Like, but the fact that like I gave them a gun and I bought them a uniform, I custom made a couple things. Yeah. They, the point was not just a gift. It was generous. Yes. But it was under the umbrella of celebration. Mm-hmm. That was the first semester celebration. Then I remember about six months later at the end of the fall semester, thinking, yeah, how do we do that again? I probably should think about a budget. How many people are there? You know what I love that feels easy and fun and doable at the time? I think we had 40 team members, maybe. This is 2007, six. Uh, our first ever booster cruise. At the time, we, I said, just figure out a way. Let's all drive to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, my hometown, stay tonight with my parents, and then got on a cruise for a couple of days and celebrated the work that we just finished. And that kind of began the, the ethos of we do all kinds of things now, but of like, how can we find a way to celebrate the right thing, the right person and the right activities? And uh, a phrase I use culturally that hopefully will stick in your mind that's been huge for me is what gets celebrated gets reproduced. Mm-hmm. What's tolerated is reproduced as well, culturally. So we need to not tolerate some things we don't want to take hold of, but nothing is stickier. Nothing becomes part of your culture more than what gets celebrated. So it's, I'll just jump to super practical. This is like a new concept for you. I don't want to patronize anybody. Most of you, I'm sure, are already doing this. I'd love to learn from you. But who do I want to reproduce and what activity and action do I want to reproduce? Am I celebrating that person and that action? So I want my salespeople to sell more. Well, do you do anything when they do? You ring a bell or give them a phone call or send them a text or today we signed up three new schools. Yeah. Off a lot of uh, emails that I used to be on, but I'm not off the new client edition emails. And I reply to everyone, reply all, congratulations, Lynn, proud of your hard work. I just want them in that moment to be seen, acknowledged, yep. 
wow, the founder still knows and, uh, and hopefully they feel celebrated. So there's lots of ways to celebrate. I would encourage whoever's listening, put your own spin on it. I mean, write a note, send a call, give a gift, whatever you like your love language is, great. Make it you, ingrain it into your culture. But the principle of celebration works for all time in every country, in every context, if you do it, if you celebrate the right person for the right reason. I love that. And such a, I mean, I, I can see it as a husband, right? I mean, uh, my wife has gotten a text from you, Chris, you know, of new business clothes or whatever. And, uh, you know, if, if, it's, if it's 40 employees, that doesn't seem like that big of a deal, but 900, you know, that's, that's something, that's, that's an effort, you know, that's a, that's a generosity on your behalf to put that into practice. And man, you've got a ton to celebrate with going from, you know, a, a fledgling startup with yourself or maybe six people to 900 employees, 750 million school profit of, of funds raised. That's huge. But I can't imagine the ride's been, you know, just up and to the right with no obstacles. Maybe tell us about a, a setback or a hardship that's come along the way that y'all had to overcome and what that was like. When, when it wasn't maybe so, there wasn't, didn't feel maybe so much to celebrate in the moment. Yes. Well, uh, 22 years of being a founder, entrepreneurial CEO, we could spend a, a series of uh, setbacks and challenges. <laughs> Get to record a hundred podcasts from, uh, from disappointments to rejections, to competition, to lawsuits, to recessions, forces that we can control and can't control. Uh, the most recent and probably the most glaring and uh, the one that I'm going to include a chapter on in my, uh, a book that I've just begun writing uh, is the COVID season. Everyone was impacted by COVID. Mm. Um, so Zoom back in time, less than four years ago, March the 13th, 2020, we were planning, I was planning on turning 40, going on a trip to Europe with family and friends. Uh, we we're planning on a banner year and uh, all kinds of new celebrations and new hires. And I started an internal incubator called Launchpad for new ideas. We had extra margin to potentially acquire or start new companies. Things are up and to the right like they'd never been. And uh, man, this is how it's going to be. All that stuff's gone and done and challenges. And now it's sunny days ahead. And then um, I remember uh, the first week of March, the last week of February, telling my CFO, the first country in the world, if anybody remembers, that closed their school system was Japan. Mm. And I said, this is weird. They closed the whole school system. Uh, for probably a few days or a week, let's just run a scenario if we were to close. And of course, ever the consensus was, well, they might a state might close, a school system might close, but that was that, Japan's a small country. You know, America's diversified in fifty states and different points of view, and red and blue and everything in between. And they will certainly won't close. Well, we ran the scenario uh, of what if the whole country's closed for two weeks? Well, then on March the thirteenth, mm. Friday the thirteenth, began. Two weeks to slow the curve. Two weeks. What a bunch of nonsense. If you can <laughs> hear a little anger in my voice still, uh, it's still there. In my opinion, COVID was real, but the reaction to it, the fear was the true, the true pandemic, was the fear inside the hearts of so many people. There were definitely people that were greatly affected health-wise, but the vast majority of young or healthy uh, to shut down the world was a, uh, a very, in my opinion, close minded short-term vision that all these repercussions won't happen at all. And I'm sure most had good intents. Well, the small businesses that still haven't opened, the displacement, the lack, I mean, we're just now seeing in test scores. I work with schools, the emotional, mental, and educational gap that exists now that did not exist pre-COVID. I don't know if this generation's ever going to be able to catch up. They'll be a year or two behind the world and uh, we need to work harder to catch up. Anyway, sorry for that rant. Uh, <laughs> 
<laughs> Let me tell you how it impacted uh, my company. And at the time, 873 employees, two weeks to slow the curve, two months to slow the curve. We went 173 days with zero revenue. Now that's tough to do when I was a 20-year-old living in my college dorm, even eating ramen noodles. It was much tougher with 873 employees at burning $100,000 a day and losing $20 million of revenue immediately yes. uh, and then trying to figure out what are we going to do. At the time, by the way, we were over 500 employees, which meant we were ineligible to get PPP. Mm -hmm. So I tried as best as possible to protect paychecks as long as possible, thinking, okay, summer's coming. Well, that stinks. The 10 years we've worked hard and saved for and built our balance sheet, that's gone. But hey, we survived and the fall will be good. Well, in late July, in the middle of our training week, we realized they're closing schools in conservative red states for the fall and pushing them back. So that was the toughest moment for me. Very long six months, trust in the Lord, can't control this. Owner, founder, CEOs like to control things, don't we? So man, to have the mindset that I'm not in control, it's not my ship, I'm a steward, I'm not the captain, I'm going along for the ride. The Lord's the captain, this is the journey I'm on. For whatever reason, uh, it'll hopefully draw me closer to him and it'll be good for me one day. But boy, it sure hurts in the moment. So we finally had to right-size the company when we had 30 days of cash left after wow. having gone 170, at the time, 150-ish. And um, we had to go from 873 employees to 143. And so cutting 85% of our workforce, oh. who is, is my mission and passion and culture and friends, uh, I'm not the typical buy it, sell it, flip it, entrepreneur. I mean, my people are my mission. So it was extremely hard for me and extremely hard for everyone that was cut and everyone that wasn't cut. Uh, it was just the business decision we had to do to, to save the organization. Yeah. And so that was challenging. I can go into lots of, lots of details around it. Our, our goal at the end was in the, we were planning on a $50 million fall revenue, fall 2020. 50 was the plan pre-COVID. The prayer became five to survive. Wow. And 10 to win. Yeah. And by God's grace and a really scrappy, awesome customer-centric team, we ended up with 13 million in revenue. It's amazing when your expectations are, uh, are five and you hit 13, you're overjoyed. Where six months prior, it was 50. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, we, we did what we had to do. I'm so proud of my team that stuck with me. So grateful for those that I couldn't keep. And now we've hired back. We now have 900 team members and 85% um, of our team uh, was not with us pre-COVID just uh, about three years ago. So rebuilding, growth pains we're currently having, but they're better than dying pains, which we were having a few years ago. Well, I have to imagine with that, I mean, you probably had all sorts of people in your ear, whether that's advisors, internal to your business, external business, I mean, conversations with your wife, the fear, I mean... Yep. Did it ever cross your mind? Like, were people trying to convince you, like, just just close the doors or just sell it? Or, you know, like, how did you mentally weather that storm? You know, like, what, what would be one piece of advice to the entrepreneur out there that's maybe going through that? I'll tell my favorite story. Uh, the most important life decision is who you marry. We all know that. And if, uh, if your spouse is on board with you, uh, it's tough enough in a marriage, an entrepreneurial marriage or a business marriage where like you are carrying the weight, they carry the weight, it comes home sure. and that's good and bad. So 
my CFO calls me in April, Stan, and he says, you know, no one's going to tell you this because they want a paycheck and the world's falling apart, but you got an opportunity, you, you just turned 40, you got an opportunity to walk away, there's a decent amount of money in the bank and, you know, take a year off and start it back again if you want to. And I said, Stan, I'm not going to do that. We're going to fight this thing. I said, listen, this is one of those things you got to take to your wife. You got to pray about, you got to talk about, it's Friday, don't make a decision until Monday morning. Just, you need to know that that's an option and it might be the best option for your family and maybe even for the future to say, we're done, great. 20-year run, 19-year run, let's take a break, let's come back maybe or not. So I said, babe, this is Saturday morning. We'd uh, sit outside and there's nothing to do you know, in that season. But my wife and I, we'd sleep in, we'd eat breakfast outside. And um, I said, hey, Stan wants me to talk to you about this. And she could tell that I was like, it was like an awkward nervousness. Babe, you know, this isn't going well. And uh, I'm an optimist. And I, I don't know when this two-week, two-month thing is going to ever end. And there's a chance that we don't just lose a little. Like, we, you can't stop the knife from falling. Like, it's, it's kind of bankruptcy or go for it. Like, you can't, like, stop with a dollar, you know? Yeah. And I just want to I want to make sure we're aligned. And I really want to get your wisdom. Should we, like, I don't think, I don't want to influence you, babe, but just what should we do? Here's her answer, candidly, on a public podcast. Hell no, we're, we're not giving up. <laughs> Let's go. We're fighting yeah. this thing out. Yeah. And, you know, if we go bankrupt, we go bankrupt, but that's not our story. We're going we're gonna to fight it out and tell the grandkids we went bankrupt for a noble cause. We feel like it's our mission. We feel the Lord gave it to us to steward, and let's fight this thing out. And once I knew that I did not have to fight a two-front war, yeah. then I knew I could give all my attention to fight the one-front war, which is save the company. Wow. And so all that credit goes to my wife and... um. And, you know, to entrepreneurs, uh, your spouse is your greatest asset and listen to them. If she had said, it's time to fold, I really would have listened. I'm really glad she didn't. Man, what, what an incredible story. And I think it's such a great, you know, in the, in the social media age, it's so easy to see snapshots of like entrepreneurs, right? And we see a snapshot of Chris Carneal, you know, uh, doing all these great things with Booster. And it's easy for like someone else just to go, wow, Chris is crushing it. Must have been an easy ride, whatever. You know, all you're seeing is the now. You know, but the journey, I mean, I mean, that's, that's what paints that picture, the highs and the lows to, to really, I, I just, that, someone listening is maybe going through it right now. And- oh, yeah. I, I was just in my emotions yesterday, but a few short years ago, I was on my knees crying with my kids thinking my whole vision of the future is about to change. Yeah. And I know my daughter's a couple of years away from college. I'm not gonna be able to pay for that. And I, this thing, we got to cancel that trip. And yeah. Well, we might have to sell our house. And we, I mean, we, oh yeah, that was very real tears and fear and all of it. And, uh, you know, it's those moments that bring us closer to what and who matters most for me, the Lord and my family and friends, you find out who your true friends are, you find out who really cares, yeah. uh, and you rely heavily on, uh, on the Lord. Well, thanks for sharing that vulnerable story. And, uh, and here you are, I mean, the next season of booster bigger, better than ever, and how, what is what is that, you know, kind of switching topics slightly, but it's connected. Like, what does generosity look like for you guys within the business, even in the storm, but certainly now? Like, how do you double down on that uh, aspiration to be generous with your, you know, as you said, kind of your time, your platform, your relationships? Mm. I love that question. I know that is the theme of this podcast. I love generosity. When I'm surrounded by a generous person, what's the proverb? Uh, the generous person will prosper. He blesses others. Will he himself be blessed? Uh, you know, 
generosity is a blessing. And our business model in many ways is to inspire generosity in givers and donors. Six million donors this year gave over $100 million to, to schools because they're generous. America is an incredibly generous country. Shout out to our country for a second. There's an ethos of America uh, and there's an ethos of like the American idea of like, how can I help others? And so I think generosity, I love, I believe it's Randy Alcorn's book, The Treasure Principle, that was the first time I saw generosity as time, talent, and treasure. In my mind, it was primarily treasure, which of course is significant, uh, but time, talent, and treasure. So whenever I think through generosity, I think about time, talent, and treasure. And uh, I think it's Peter Drucker that says strategy is trade-offs. So it's this or that. You can only do, you know, our, no matter how good we are, like our top five business initiatives or top three family plans, or like you can only do so much. Mm-hmm. So there's a limited amount of time. So how do I make trade-offs in my time, talent, and treasure for the greatest impact? There's only 24 hours in a day, and there's only so much money, and there's only uh, so much talent that any individual has. So how do I write with courage, properly look at what have I been given? All of life is a gift of grace. I talked about our final virtue of celebration. That's virtue six. Virtue one is gratitude. And to me, that's where generosity begins. All of life. The fact that I was born in 1980 in America, I mean, I just hit the absolute jackpot of life. The fact that I have loving parents, that I now have the loving family, like, wow, in world history. Like, if you are listening to this podcast, in the history of the world, we are the top 1% of 1% of 1% in terms of what we have been given. And not just in terms of money or finance or a phone or a, uh, you know, a Spotify or podcast, but technology and health and nation and country and the wisdom and opportunity. The fact that we could say, hey, Siri, and that'll like answer every question we have. I mean, what a blessing. Uh, and so when my heart is full of gratitude, generosity should be an outcome that comes out of it. So I like to think in terms of time, talent, and treasure in terms of the buckets uh, and make sure I'm allocating as much time to think about how can I be generous with my time and talent, not just treasure. This is so good. Chris, thanks for sharing. If people, I, I can already see the requests and I'm going to hit them off on, uh, on on what the six virtues are. Do you mind just ticking them off? And, and sure. if you've got a link, we'll put it in the show notes, but maybe you can tick them off for us. Sure. Uh, Companies have values. I think values are incredibly important. I am calling and challenging CEOs, entrepreneurs, founders, people of influence that values do not go far enough. And it's time for a revolution from values to virtues. Just look up the word differences, read a book or two on it. I started thinking about our values being in need of refreshment. Uh, Words change over time. Definitions change over time. I honestly started to see our values that I could get you fired up about that I thought were unique being used all over the place with organizations that didn't embody those values. So I thought, do I add an adjective to them? How do I better define them? And then I, in my research of this about four years ago, I stumbled across the ancient word, incredible word called virtue, which here's my distinctive. Virtues are more aspirational than values. They're more actionable than values. They're more timeless than values. And they're almost universally approved and celebrated. I mean, so pick your time in world history, pick your country, religion, nationality, political worldview, whatever. Who doesn't believe that courage makes the world a better place, right? So here's our six. They're in order on purpose. Maybe another podcast I can go through how we chose them, why we chose them. But here's the six. Gratitude, wisdom, 
care, courage, grit, and celebration. They're in that order on a purpose for a reason. We call it the virtuous cycle. They also are as applicable personally as they are professionally. So, hey, in my 40, 50 hours with you this week or 100,000 vocational hours, hopefully this will help your 200,000 non-vocational hours of your life. So if, if we give you the opportunity to exhibit, let's let's say, uh, wisdom in the workplace, hopefully that boardroom wisdom will also translate to the family room wisdom mm-hmm. as well. So transferable character traits that are world-shaping over time and world history. Uh, those six words fully fleshed out. We will never achieve them, but the pursuit of them will make the world a better place. Chris, this is, this is that's so fantastic, and and uh, you know, it is interesting that you are inspiring generosity with your actual product. Yes, that is that's pretty unique. Uh, and then you've got this sort of biblical background, and then this. I mean, I, I don't. I've never heard of anybody doing the kind of things to the level you do to celebrate inside the company. That is a real gift to your team members. So, I mean, these are this is generosity on all, all kinds of interesting and new levels. Uh, and I know people are loving this. I know I am, uh, and and Kale is. So, you, you've also been generous with your time for us. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever come away with more to dos. Uh, Kale does a great job of that, but uh, you know, I. I I need to send more celebratory messages is one of my takeaways. But for other people, and you know, we were talking before we started recording, we always try to leave with a a practical tip for somebody behind you on the journey, you know, that maybe they're just starting a business, just starting to take off. Maybe they've been through a trough and maybe it's starting to work and they're kind of thinking, how do I use this platform in a way that it's a blessing to those around me? You know, maybe take it down. When they wake up tomorrow after hearing this podcast, What's one little thing they could do to get on that path? Sure. If this comes naturally to the person because of their DNA and the way they're wired, their identity, then they don't need me to answer because they've already got 100 ideas. If it doesn't come naturally, uh, there's a good chance it comes naturally to someone on their team or in their orbit or on their most used text chain. So wisdom is asking for help. Guys, I want to start celebrating my people more. I'm just Create, pull out your phone. Who'd you just text? Who's your like fun hangout text chain group of people? I want to celebrate my team more. Can you help me? Can we grab coffee and you can help me? Can we do a 30-minute brainstorm? Or what are the best celebrations? What celebrations have you seen organizations do that make you feel valued? How have you best been celebrated? I mean, five or six tests, one or text, one or two coffees, maybe even like, hey, junior level, just started team member. This just comes natural to you you're going to lead our celebration task force. We're going to meet once a month for 45 minutes. You're going to give me three different ideas on ways we can celebrate. I also want you to be really observant and curious. Not everybody wants to be celebrated the same way. The the super introvert might not want the confetti can and the microphone in the spotlight, but the high extrovert might. Some would want a written note. Some would want, you know, uh, verbal. Some might want, I'll tell you what I do. uh, I've learned to do more often even than, than text. When I find good news that I just want to spread, Half the time, like I'll pull into my driveway, I'll get a text before I walk in the house. This person hit this goal. Like, I, we just hired a new person. We, you know, everything can be celebrated with the right intention. Thank you for coming to our company, right? Day one. Anyway, I film a 15 second video on my phone and my team will send me at least three or four a week. Like, Johnny just started. Sally just hit this goal. Hey, this is Chris. I just heard from Kim. 
you hit an amazing goal. I want to tell you how important that is. I can't wait to meet you in person. Uh, here's how it connects to our mission. And I'll, so then one, they got it. They can do, they can watch it at their convenience. It's not like the intimidating CEO call. They got to answer in the middle of the meeting. And then three, they can share it with family, friends, spouse, and keep it. So it's kind of a, a 15 second uh, video could be a reminder for the next 10 years. That's easy. I'll tell you what I do that's cheap, that uh, is super fun. Just one more practical I was thinking of a minute ago. So generosity is about what you have to give. I'll bet the majority of listeners to this podcast are learners, and I bet they love to read. What is your favorite book? Buy 10 copies. And anytime someone comes in your office or a new employee starts, or just send them, give them, hand them the book. I write notes in the front of books. Happy birthday. This is my favorite book. I hope you enjoy it. I mean, giving away a $12, $15, $20 book uh, is a great way to be generous. And what are you doing? You're, you know, you're promoting the conversation that impacted you to others. So small things well, can make a huge you know, difference. You know, the, the vision that came to me is so good uh, when you were talking about that was how angels in heaven rejoice when they see us do awesome things yes. around God. And it's like, so that that principle of celebrating each other, uh, you know, I think that is a mirror image of 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 the way God celebrates us. And he's like, yep. when we get it right every once in a while. So, yep. Well, so and to go, to go even one further final, final gospel step, the way the father celebrates his son, Jesus, who was perfect, hmm. is the way he celebrates us, regardless of what we do in our accomplishments. Yeah. Uh, that's the, that's it. Amen. Rest in that. Amen. Well, Chris, we can't thank you enough. Kale, thanks for uh, being with us today. And that, that was, it was super helpful. And uh, Chris, just again, Thanks for being with us and, and sharing your journey. I know it's going to be, uh, uh, you know, uh, just a real asset to many people. Uh, so thanks so much, and we'll stay in touch. Thanks for the opportunity, guys. God bless you. Go change the world. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining this week's Generous Business Owner podcast. Share it with your friends and family, and uh, sign up for our newsletter at generousbusinessowner.com, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everybody. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.